can't stop smiling about it. Thank you so very much. And Candy and Chris and Kay, thank you so very much for teeing up uh, what, uh, what God has to say to us today. Good morning, church. And as we prepare our time together, would you take God's word and uh, uh, put your finger on uh, Matthew 23 and uh, then on John 15. Uh, Matthew 23 and on John 15. Uh, so uh, for those of you who are guests, uh, welcome to our church today on behalf of Pastor David and Jeannie Shivers. Uh, welcome to First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs. I hope that in whether you attended Bible study this morning or whether you just come for worship, you feel welcome. Uh, and that's our intent. That's our heart's passion is to make people feel welcome in ministry in this place. And so we're so glad you're here today. And uh, for me, standing in for pastor while he's doing a revival, I hope this goes really well. I really would like this to go really well. I really want this to go really well. My business background tells me that hope is not a strategy and want is not a plan. So I've done three things to get ready for today. Three things that I would share with you and the concept and the construct of the topic today satisfied with me. Because at the end of the time, I want you to be satisfied with me. That's a normal human reaction. That's what many of us want. We want appreciation. We want to be seen as valuable. So there's three things that I did today that I want to share with you in preparing for today. The first is I reviewed wardrobe. <laughs> what I would wear today. Uh, I shaved because that was really not an option with my wardrobe consultant that I had for 37 years. The scruffy young look was not appropriate for this venue, I was clearly told. So I shaved. Because I was not able to lose the 15 to 25 pounds or more that I need to lose, I decided on a single color that seems to be more slimming. I reviewed what I would wear in front of you today. In a church that sometimes does wear ties, doesn't wear ties, wears coats, doesn't wear coats, I decided a suit. Uh, the second thing that I, um, I did in my uh, preparation for our time together today was uh, I readied myself. You chose what you would wear. You chose how you would appear today. I chose to also make myself ready for our time together today. And for me, that wasn't anything more than listening. Listening carefully to what I might be prompted to say to you today. Not any different from your readiness in coming to God's house today. There's a, probably a readiness that you used today. I hope it was listening. We use the phrase often, the doors of the church are open. Well, that's wonderful. The doors of God's church are always open, but are our hearts open? So I made myself ready today. And the third thing that I did today to get ready for today that you would expect if I want you to be satisfied with me is I, I rehearsed. Uh, God awakened me. I, I would blame God because I'm, I, I try not to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning with thoughts about what I'm going to do. But at 3 a.m. this morning I'm up and I'm changing words and phrases and I'm thinking through how this is going to go. I, I not only um, reviewed what I would, how I would appear to you, not only did I make myself ready for this morning, but I rehearsed, I planned, I thought through what God might want me to say and how he might want me to speak to you. Not any different than you or I in our daily lives. So I'm not trying to draw attention to those aspects of my readiness here. I am trying to say that 
it's important sometimes that people be satisfied with someone else. And so the topic of today's sermon is satisfied with me. And the first aspect of satisfaction is I'd like you as a result of the time today to be satisfied with me. More, I'd love your heart to be drawn closer to Christ. Because he has a lot to say about this concept of satisfied with me. And we're going to use two examples, one from Matthew 23 and one from uh, John, the Gospel of John. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's ask him to help us understand. Lord, we thank you again for this place that you've allowed us to be. A place that you've preserved for generations just so that we could be in the room today. These are not accidents. These are providential decisions to be here in this room. And so, Lord, given that this is providential, my prayer is that our hearts would be open to your spirit in this place this day. That nothing would hinder us from hearing a word from you so that through our Sunday, our Monday would be that much sweeter. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place. And it's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. So I said that um, I would like you as a result of today to be satisfied with me. It's a normal human reaction. Whenever you do something, you would like to have something back. But there are times that you are satisfied with yourself. Uh, there are times that you uh, might repair something. You might fix something. You might do something. You might build something. You might use your hands and your knowledge. And you might be satisfied with yourself. And you can look in the mirror and say, I'm satisfied with me. I repaired that. Or some of us are, are bookworms and we read a lot and we, we, we love to read, whether that's novels or history or whatever it is. And when we finish a book, some of us are, are really satisfied with ourselves. We can look in the mirror and say, I'm really satisfied with me that I achieved that. Uh, some of us uh, play sports uh, and some of us golf. And if golf doesn't cause us to lose part of our faith structure, and some of us it does. We have some level of accomplishment when we're in sport, whether that's softball or baseball, and, or whether it's football, and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, but we need to always be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm satisfied with the work that I did. And there's a particular day in my life that I was very satisfied. I was very satisfied to give away a child to another man. It was a glorious day. Because I was transferring her from my payroll to his payroll. <laughs> it worked beautifully. And some of you had this wonderful, glorious experience of walking a daughter down the aisle. And when asked, who gives this woman be the one seen dancing in a Baptist church? Say, yes, it's me. Not so much her mother. Her mother wants to keep her under wing a while. Not, not me. There are occasions when we can be satisfied with ourselves, whether that's the work of our hands or the work of our mind, or in a situation or an occasion, we can be satisfied. And we can look in the mirror and rightly say, I'm satisfied with myself. But let's not make any mistake. Going too far in that direction is problematic. Going too far and not being in Christ but in some way thinking too much of ourselves and becoming independent of Christ is problematic. And so when we think of this concept of being satisfied with me, 
There are a number of examples in God's Word about people who were too satisfied with themselves and weren't in Christ. They were independent of Christ. We could talk about Noah and the days of Noah. And we could talk about the people other than Noah and his immediate family who thought so much of themselves they were independent of God. We could talk in the New Testament, and we could look at what the Bible calls, uh, we refer to as the rich young ruler. It meant a person of means, a person of substance, not, like any of, not unlike any of us. We are people of means and of substance. And this person, when confronted with the gospel, hung his head, walked away. Why? Because he was so satisfied with himself. He was independent. We could talk about the children of Israel. We could look all through the Old Testament, prophet after prophet, bringing God's word to people and helping them understand. And yet they were independent. Now, times they were back and they were in, in, in full dependence. But many times they found themselves as a nation denying their need for God, not unlike this nation, in denying overtly our need for God. They were independent. They were so satisfied with self that they became independent. But the example I choose to use today in our study is from Matthew, and it's from the uh, 23rd chapter of Matthew. And uh, 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 Jesus is talking uh, in this particular chapter uh, uh, about religious leaders. You'll remember the scribes and the Pharisees, the religiosity of the day. These were very pro prominent people. These were very um, uh, important people in the culture of the day. Uh, people looked to them for their word, and people looked to them for teaching. People looked to them because of their knowledge, and looked to them because they believed they had faith. And these were people that were very satisfied with themselves. And God's word in the 23rd chapter says they were very satisfied with themselves about tithing and giving. And Jesus speaks to that in this 23rd chapter of Matthew. He talks about their knowledge of the law. And as we'll see in a moment, Jesus is saying very clearly to them, as you think about our religious leaders, and you think about the Pharisees and the scribes and the others, they are the keepers of the law and they are knowledgeable about the law and what they say to do, do. Don't do what they do. Do because they don't follow their own teaching. But they were satisfied with themselves in the law. And they were satisfied with themselves in their confidence in taking on anybody and everybody, including Jesus himself. And so Jesus, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, uh, beginning in the, about verse 2, Jesus is teaching the people. Verse 1 says he's teaching the people. You'll know this is near the end of Jesus' ministry. You'll know that by this time there were plans for his, uh, his uh, uh, betrayal of Perhaps not the betrayal itself, but the scribes and the Pharisees who had been plotting and planning for quite some period of time, they were looking for someone who could help them. It was only a matter of time. We knew how we know how the story ended. It ended at the cross, but it ended at resurrection and ascension and, and so much more for us. But Jesus at this point in the Matthew's, Matthew's word is that Jesus is teaching the people. And he's teaching, and he says the teachers of religious law, and the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. He very clearly is saying to them, these are the people that hold the law, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. So Jesus is verifying and validating that they are aware of the law, knowledgeable of the law. 
But he very quickly says, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. And Jesus, in the intervening verses, talks about how they don't follow the practice of the Mosaic law that they own and hold and are knowledgeable of. And in verse 4, he starts by saying everything they do is for show. In verse 5, and they love to sit at the head table. In verse 7, they love to receive respectful greeting and to be called rabbi. And Jesus from there goes on and talks about the words and phrases that people were using to describe these religious leaders. Some were calling them father. And Jesus said, there's no father on earth that you need to address. The father is in heaven. He talked about the word rabbi and the word teacher. There's no rabbi or teacher other than Christ. And, 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 and continues in this text with a series of woe unto you. So in the construct of today's lesson, when we think about uh, satisfaction with me, I'd love you to be satisfied. I'd love you to be, I'd love something to, I'd love you to be pleased with your time here. Not because of me, but because of God. There are times that we can be satisfied with the work of our hand or the knowledge of our mind. But if carried to an extreme, we find ourselves in a situation where Jesus is saying to these people, what sorrows await you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, and clearly calls, with some exclamation, hypocrites. And further draws an analogy for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. So when we think about the concept of being satisfied with me, there are appropriate ways to do this, but these people in this day, in this culture, have carried this to an extreme. This is not about separation from God. If you think back about the ministry of Christ, it was his entire ministry was with people separated from God. He spent his ministry with you and with me. So it's not about those that are separated from God. It's those that found satisfaction in themselves to become independent from God. And so what he's saying is that you can look really pretty on the outside. So the trip of a lifetime would be a trip to the Holy Land. A trip of a lifetime would be to capture shots and, and see things that some of you have seen. Some of you have experienced. This is one shot of whitewashed tombs, and it's, a, it's beautifully done, the color is lovely, the lighting is just right, and somebody captured this on a trip that they took to the Holy Land. The reality is, scratch the surface, pull away the stone, and what do we have? We, we have problem. Independence from God is a problem. It doesn't start that way. I'm not suggesting that as a child in religious schools of the day that the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious teachers of the day, I'm not suggesting that it began with a thought that says, I'm going to end up independent from God. In fact, I'm not sure they had self-awareness to know they were independent from God. But God's word very clearly says in the chapter 23 of Matthew that there is a line that is crossed. We can be satisfied with one another. We can be satisfied with the work of our hand and the work of our mind. But if that creates independence from God, that's problematic to our relationship with God. So no matter how beautiful we look, no matter how pretty the setting, the reality is you scratch the surface, you look below the line, 
and there's death and impurity in independence from God. The good news of the gospel and the good news of God's word is that he also cites examples for us of where we must follow Christ, where we have a real opportunity. Because you see, the religious teachers of the day, they were alone and they were isolated. If you think about the way Jesus addressed them and Jesus spoke about them to the people in that setting and in other settings as recorded in the New Testament, they were alone and they were isolated. But they appeared one way and they were actually another. <coughs> they were self-absorbed. They were not Christ-centered. They were self-absorbed. And they were absence the source. Our sermon, our time, is on vine and branch and fruit. And they were absent of the vine. Uh, the reality of the Word of God is that through lessons of lives of others, we can understand our walk better. So our walk then should necessarily be what? A walk of dependence as a Christ follower. Uh, our appearance outwardly should be a demonstration of our inward heart. And that the vine and the branch concept are fundamental to us as Christ followers. So the advantage for those of you who sat in the back is that you can't see this, I suppose, as well as those of you in the front. That's an advantage because I'm going to ask, what do you see? And if you can't see it, you can't conjecture. So it's okay to talk in church. There was a time it wasn't okay to talk in church. I know that. Bill reminded me of that on many occasions. Mitch, 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 Mitch. He was so patient and kind, as was Kay. But for those of you who can see, there's a slide on the screen. What do you see? A grapevine. Fruit. What else do you see? I'm sorry? Leaves. Strings. Wires? Color. Pardon me? Color. Color. Pardon me? Branches? And a major vine. That's the vine. The text in John 5 we'll read in just a moment. Jesus talks about a vine and a branch. And he's not saying to us, you can't be satisfied with yourself. And he's not saying others can't be satisfied with you. He's simply saying understand the genesis of where that satisfaction should come from. And in the text, and you see it in front of you on screen, the large root there, the large stalk there, that is the vine. And everything is coming from the vine. And what you see with leaves and fruit and the branch is attached to the vine. That's a simple concept. And for some of us who've been in church quite some period of time, that's a well-worn concept. I'm not trying to break new ground with you. I'm trying to link concepts with us today as Christ followers so that our walk is enriched. What we've not talked about, however, are the strings or the lines of the wires. We've not talked about that aspect of this visual. 
And I think it's critically important that we do. Because it has bearing on how, ultimately, God will be satisfied with me. So if we look closely at the gospel account, John 15, verse 1, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, be very clear. God is the gardener. And so when we think about the vine and the branches, I'd suggest to you that the vine is planted by God. And what that means for you and me as believers is that we're well planted in God's Word. That we have a clear relationship with God. Not to have that is problematic. So in God's Word, He says, ah, Jesus is saying, I am the true great vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and you will, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, the reality of God's Word. When I look at God's Word, and maybe when you look at God's Word, I try to understand what it might say to me. I, I, I understand there's theology attached to it. That's global thinking about the very Word of God. I understand there's doctrine attached to it. Doctrine is simply, what does God's Word say in a, in a global way? What are the major themes of God's Word? But at the end of the day, I always think about what is the reality of the Word, and what is the reality of the Word for me? And so there are three or four items that I thought were very important to this discussion from John, 1, John 15, 1-5. And first, that is the planting. So the question for us today as Christ followers, many of us, and if you don't know Jesus, we're happy to share Jesus with you. But for those of us who know Jesus, where are we planted? In a world of competing priorities, competing for our time, competing for our spend, competing for our intellectual capital, competing for our emotion, competing for our families, where are we planted? Where are you planted? Where am I planted? And if the vine that we're attached to isn't planted in rich soil, soil of God's Word, soil of a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not a theoretical, I know He's the Savior of the world, He died for sins and rose again, and I can tell you this, if it's not a personal relationship, if we're not planted personally, then the branch isn't going to produce the fruit. The wires then become very important because the gardener the gardener places the vine on the wire or the string. The gardener positions you and me. Someone said that's the will of God. It's the will of God you be in this place today. How do I know that? Because you're here. <laughs> it's his will that you are here. He positions us. 
Just much like a gardener positions the branch on the wire. And why that? Because you know that if grapes hit the ground, what happens to them? What happens to grapes when they get dirty? They decay. They rot. We can have abundant fruit and be soiled and rot. But the gardener chooses not only to attach us to a sturdy vine, but to position us and lift us in a way that we can be fruitful. But then he also prunes us. Some of you are gardeners. I'm not. Between Donna and I, we don't have one green thumb. We don't have anything green. In fact, I don't think in our, in our lives today we have any indoor plants at all. That, that, that's right, isn't it? We don't have any, except for the one that is not real, that is gracing a little corner upstairs. But that's all we have, because we've killed everything else off. We are not green thumb people. Uh, but I do remember a day when we worked in the yard and, and when we took care of shrubs and things, it's so nice now, people come and do that for you. You know you can pay people to cut your grass. I didn't realize that. You can pay people to put out pine straw and pay people to clip your hedges and do all of that. Pruning was not fun. Pruning was not an activity that I enjoyed because I never could get it right. You know, you, you prune a hedge and, and you make one mistake and it dips a little bit, then what do you have to do? It's like a bad haircut. You have to keep cutting and cutting and cutting and finally you prune the thing and it's unrecognizable. It looked perfectly healthy before and it's not healthy any longer. But that's not the pruning that Jesus is talking about. That's not the pruning that God is talking about. He's talking about the gardener lovingly coming alongside of us securely planted, positioned so that we have a relationship with him. And yes, sometimes cutting us back. If I go back to the picture of the vine, you're gonna notice it wasn't very long. It was rather short, but it had abundant fruit. And the gardener had come along and pruned that vine and had more fruit, not less fruit. I don't know about you, but when God prunes me back a bit and corrects me, it's not comfortable. I don't care what age you are, whether you're in your 80s or your 50s or your 40s or wherever you are in the spectrum of life, God's discipline, God's pruning, God's movement of us is uncomfortable. And so what the text is helping us understand is that though to achieve our purpose so that we are not just satisfied with ourselves and the work that we do of our hands and the knowledge of our brains, not just that you'd be satisfied with me, but ultimately what is the point of satisfied with me is I want God satisfied with me. And that's my right relationship with him manifesting fruit bearing fruit. And you'll say, I'm, a, I'm not a, a believer that long. Or you'll say, I've been a believer a very long time. Age is not the important factor. The outcome is the important factor. 
And so from these two contrasting views today, we have a picture of people who had all the knowledge, all the wisdom, and were told and, and, and were said to be the keepers of the Mosaic Law, do what they teach you to do, but don't do what they do because they don't follow their own teaching. And in contrast to that, we have a loving gardener, a person who we, we're never, never, never closer to the hand of God than when he's putting us in a position on the wire or when he's pruning us. We're never closer to God's hand than those two times. So the reality is, to be satisfied with me, I want God satisfied with me. I want him to find favor in the walk that I have, just like you do. And that's contingent on our heart, because in the contrast, Jesus is talking to people whose heart might not have been open to the gospel, might not have been open to the word of God and to the direction of God, because they knew it all. They were self-satisfied. But in this latter text, we see a portrait of people dependent on Christ. So please don't misunderstand this. This isn't about separation from Christ. You and I are normally and naturally separated from Christ. Sin does that. And continues to do that. But we can be drawn into that loving relationship with God our Father through Christ His Son. And it should look like a vine and branches and fruit if we want ultimately God to be satisfied with us. So, if I look at God's Word, and this is just the way I look at God's Word and study God's Word, I, I'll read a text, and we read two today. Matthew 23, the first few verses, and then further down, verse 18. And we read John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And I don't know then what you do when you study God's Word, when you read God's Word, but what I try to do is I, 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 I look for application for me. And in this case, I'm looking for application for me and for you. And the application is, is there independence that's crept in to your walk and to my walk? Am I less dependent on him than I would be the branch to the vine in bearing fruit? Do I think in some way that I can bear fruit independent of him? Do I do all the right motions? Do I do all the right behaviors? Do I say all the right things? And there is no fruit that is bearing. And what happens with that when we don't bear fruit? What did God's word say, John chapter 15? He prunes that back, cuts that off. So then the question is, how are we demonstrating dependence in Christ? Are we independent from Christ or are we dependent in Christ? And that's the discussion that you have to have with Christ. Now, you could have it here. There will be people in a few moments, I'm sure, who are ready. Our deacons are here, and Bill is here, I'm here. If you have a decision or somebody you want to talk to, that's fine. We're happy to do that. But the heart being open means that we have a conversation with Christ to say, are there areas where I'm independent of you? Point those out to me. Help me understand. Help me identify those so that I can relinquish those and I can become more dependent, not less dependent. 
The Christ walk is not one of independence. It's one of ongoing dependence that only deepens. We only become more dependent in Christ as the years go by. And the Apostle Paul will close this out, and he, he has it right, I think. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. In fact, commend and condemn are really pretty close. And in the Matthew 23 passage, the satisfaction itself was so pronounced and the independence so clear, Jesus condemned those people. I'd rather have the commendation as would you because I want Christ to be satisfied with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you for people who seek you in this place. We thank you for the presence of your spirit in decisions that are made each week, some public, some private. God, help us to have hearts as open as the doors of this church. Because they never close. Help us to have ears that are willing to listen and understand if we're increasingly dependent and bearing fruit and thus satisfying you, or if we're increasingly independent as some in the church in this country today are. Help us to be sensitive because ultimately, God, we do want you to be satisfied with me. I want you to be satisfied with me. Now, Lord, as we think about the decisions of this place, the doors are open, the altars are open. Speak to your people in a simple song. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our close this morning, we're going to do uh, just a little bit differently. Uh, I'd ask you, if you didn't already pack up uh, during the prayer or during the sermon, uh, uh, that you pack up. But by pack up, I mean if you have your God's Word open, if you have notes out, whatever you need to do to be ready to walk out, do right now. Just go ahead and close up books and put things back. And that bulletin that you think you're going to leave in the pew, please take that with you. <laughs> We'd love you to take that with you and not leave it in the pew. And the close is a little bit different because uh, Jason Crabb, uh, I, I come to appreciate his ministry and his music, and he does a song called Satisfied, and uh, we're going to play that as our conclusion, then, then uh, Kay and Helen will close us out musically. They always do such a nice job with that. But the altars of the church are open if you have something to say to Jesus about your relationship. The people of the church are here to help you with those conversations if you need this. But what I'd like you to do more than anything else right now is just focus five minutes on the word satisfied and satisfied with me.